0: I wish that you guys could have seen those girls practice in that song. Uh I tell you, those girls are one in a million. They did a really good job. And uh word of confession, they asked me to do what David did, and so David, I am incredibly grateful that you stepped in uh so I could step out. So uh boy, if you have any kind words to spare today, David is the one to say thank you to for uh for helping me out. Uh I gave it one try and said I just don't know that I can do this. Uh so Anyways, uh, usually that's not an answer that I, as a dad, tolerate in my house. I can't do that, but uh, anyways, I guess I'm a, a hypocrite for the day, but thank you, David. And to the girls, uh, good job. I, uh, nerves, got, nerves got them a little, I tell you, uh, it's, but they did a good job overall. I'm proud of them. If you'll take your copy of God's Word, we are going to start out uh, this morning in the book of Romans. We're going to do things a little bit different than we've done in the, uh, the d- days past. Uh, got a Thanksgiving-themed message. Uh, I know that we're we're at the tail end of thanksgiving, but we're still in the thanksgiving holiday weekend uh, And there's just a handful of things as your pastor that i'm incredibly thankful for And so I want to share a handful of them with you And uh, so I didn't go on and on most of you've realized that I don't preach with a lot of notes But I made some notes uh, So that I stick to it and uh, and make sure I hit everything that I wanted to get so let's go to the lord in prayer and we'll get started Father we thank you for your word. We thank you for Uh, all of the kids that we have in this church. We thank you for their boldness to sing uh, songs of praise to you. Lord, we thank you for just every single thing that you have done for us. And God, in spite of us, you still see fit to bless us more than we could ever deserve. And so, Lord, as we come before you now, I pray that we would do so uh, in a heart of thanksgiving. And, Lord, I pray that, uh, as the book of Hebrews tells us, that I pray that this message would spur us on to love and to thanksgiving. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, feed your people. And, Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we start out in the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. And uh, I've got about four, four big things that I'm thankful for if you're going to keep up. The first thing uh, is your pastor that I'm thankful for is the gospel. Without the gospel, there is no need for me to stand before you day in and day out. Every single thing that we do as believers in christ is wrapped around the gospel and so i want to walk through briefly uh, in the book of romans uh, and just kind of pick up a few of the big points that the author makes and just share with you this incredible gospel that we have the first first stopping point is romans chapter 3 verse 23 all through the book of romans so far god is or excuse me the the holy spirit through paul is making the case that jews are doomed and gentiles are doomed and those are the only two types of people that are, that are on the earth, Jews and Gentiles. And he says in Romans chapter 3 that the sad part is, is that both of those categories of people are doomed. And it says in 323, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if there was any hope for you, uh, just as to the, the goodness, of yourself to get you to heaven, the scriptures tell us that there is nothing good that you can do. There's no set amount of works that you can do as a person trusting in your own goodness to get you to heaven because we have all sinned and one sin separates us from God the Father. And so the good news here is over in Romans chapter 5 verse 6. And so we are not just He doesn't just leave us in that doomed situation, but he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, What else could you be thankful for? That while you and I were stuck in our sin, Christ loves us so much that he would come to earth and he would die for us, not based on any merit of our own. But while we were still helpless, while we were actually still turning our fist up at God, he sends Christ to come and die for us. Incredibly good news. It goes on. Go over to Romans chapter 8. And so Christ died for us. And as a result of God sending his son Jesus Christ. Christ dying for us. The scriptures say in chapter 8 verse 1. That therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the reality is, is that you were... You were against God in everything that you were doing, even though you were trying to do good things. And Christ, while you were a sinner, died for you. And now, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation awaiting you. That means that you are not going to stand in front of God as judge and receive any sort of condemnation. The interesting part there is that this promise is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. You go over to chapter 8, verse 31 and so this this is again another promise for those who are in Christ Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who is against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against god's elect god is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So, what the author here is saying is that if you are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Because this, he says, Who's going to bring a charge against you as one of Christ's children? Because you see, Christ is the judge and the jury, and he is also the one who justifies. And so Jesus, to the believer, is everything. He's your judge, he's your jury, and he's the one who justifies, which means makes you right with God. And so if you are in Christ, Christ is the one who made you right with God. He's the one who took all your sins away. And so if Christ is the one who saved you and who is your judge, who in the world can bring a charge against you? And the truth is nobody. Because God is the one who who saved you and he's the one who's going to judge you. And he knows everything. And so if you, if you are in Christ, all of these things you have to be thankful for. Go on to verse 37. It says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this Thanksgiving, what else could you be thankful for that If you are in Christ, he has set you apart. And now there is nothing in the world, nothing in the world, seen or unseen, that can separate you from the love of God. Amen? Nothing. And so this Thanksgiving, regardless of how things went with your family, regardless of anything else, You cannot be separated, brothers and sisters, from the love of God. And that cannot have a price tag put on it. You keep going over to Romans chapter 10. And so the question here is I've given you all this good news for you who are in Christ. And so the question is maybe you're here and you're not in Christ. Maybe you're here and you have never done what it takes to become a Christian and to become a follower of Christ. Here's your call. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, says this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. We live in a world... And the world tells you that if you become a follower of Christ, you've got to stop this, you've got to stop that, and you've got to stop all of these other things. And that ultimately will lead you to misery. So why in the world would anyone want to be a follower of Christ? The Scriptures tell you right here that whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Listen, when I and when many of you made a decision to follow Christ all you could see was all of the things that you were going to have to give up. But now that we've made a decision to follow Christ, that junk doesn't even matter anymore because it doesn't compare at all to the glories of being in Christ and being saved. That that stuff, I can't even believe that I enjoyed some of the stuff that I used to do because following Christ is so much better than anything the world has to offer. And it says that whoever believes will not be disappointed. Verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. Verse 13, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Will be saved. And so if you are a believer in Christ, you can be thankful for all of those things that we just covered pertaining to the gospel. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ yet, hopefully, you can be thankful that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you too will be saved. And all of those promises for the people who are in Christ will be yours to enjoy also. And so this Thanksgiving, Every single thing that I'm thankful for revolves around this gospel that I just shared with you. And so I am thankful that despite all of my foolishness, that God still saved me. I look back on all of the times where I turned my fist up at God and put him off and put him off and put him off. And I am so glad that he didn't put me off as much as I did him. I'm thankful that when I was ready to call on the name of the Lord, he was faithful to all of his promises and he saved me. And so there is no hope for anyone outside of the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so this segues perfectly into some things that have been going on in our church if you were here last week we had a special prayer time for graham and shelton uh, well graham is a young boy he's uh, around five years old somewhere in there isn't he graham is two my sons told me that graham was is the same age as my middle son those rascals that's why you don't listen to a six-year-old in sermon prep amen all right it wasn't elijah it was the one that you. it was simeon there you go you told me Anyways, Graham is too, and Graham has been uh, on and off a ventilator. He's been, uh, his health has gone up and down, and he started out being born, had a lot of uh, back surgeries and had to have some uh, some heart difficulties. Well, so anyways, uh, he was doing great, and he was coming along fine, and then he kind of took a turn for the worse, and so we as a church have been praying for Graham. We've been thinking a lot about Graham and his family, and so number two ties right in with the gospel. I am thankful that God has a special grace towards children. And what I mean in this is that as we have been in an immense time of prayer for a two-year-old little boy, that I am thankful that even if God didn't answer any of our prayers, we believe that God would still take care of that two-year-old boy and allow him to go to heaven. And so let me take you to 1 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel. And I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And there's a story about David that I want to share with you. Uh, If you know any of the background to David's life, David becomes king of Israel. And there was a time when the scriptures say men went out to war. And David stayed behind. And so David is on his roof. He sees an attractive woman bathing on a nearby roof. And he he has her come to him. Anyways, they, they lay together and she becomes pregnant. And this is an absolute abomination. God's people should not be involved in that sort of thing. And so what happens is in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 15, it says, So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord... Struck the child that uriah's widow bore to david so that he was very sick So the punishment to david was that the child was going to die Now there's a lot of background But what I want you to get here is that there's a young child who is going to die verse 16 therefore David therefore inquired of god for the child and david fasted and went and lay all night on the ground The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together... David perceived that the child was dead So david said to his servants is the child dead and they said he is dead And so if you can imagine the scene here the king of all of israel is losing a child and for a week For a week. He's not eating. He's praying. He's fasting and he's prostrate on the ground and he won't get up for a week Straight weeping over this child And then the child dies And the servants go. Oh, no Uh, uh, who's going to tell the king that his son is dead? If that's not a one, two, three, not it situation, I don't know what is. But who's going to go to the king and give him the bad news? Well, David, being a wise guy, he perceives that the child is dead. And then in verse 20, something astounding happens. It says in verse 20, So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and ate. What in the world? He's been fasting and praying for a week straight for the child to get better, and now the child dies, and David gets up, showers, goes to the house of the Lord, worships, and he eats. Then his servants, verse 21, said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, "While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall not go to him, but excuse me, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me." And so out of this passage, we glean from it that David has a son. The son has died at a very young age, and when the child dies, David stops weeping because David knows that the child is not going to come back to life, but one day David's hope is that he is going to go to the child. And if you were to read through the Psalms, you would read over and over and over again that David's hope was in going to be with the Lord. And so if David's hope, is in when he dies, is going to be with the Lord, and he knows that one day he's going to go to his son, the implication is that he's going to be, he knows that his son is going to be waiting for him with the Lord when he gets there. And so you could draw two conclusions from this. You could say that God has grace towards children and that all children are going to go to heaven. Or you can draw from this that children of believers are going to go to heaven. Right? Because David was a believer. And so you could infer that, okay, maybe it could just be children of believers. Well, one of the things that we go to in addition to this passage, and I'm just doing a very short, short uh, treatment of this. If you go over to the book of Revelation, and you don't have... Yeah, go ahead and turn there. Revelation chapter 7, because you're going to go to Revelation next. Revelation chapter 7 uh, says something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with children, but I think you'll see that it does in a minute revelation chapter 7 Verse 9 and Verse 9 says this After these things I looked and this is john having a vision of heaven things that are taking place in heaven after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And so John has a vision of heaven and he sees people from every nation and every tongue, tribe, and people group. And so if you were just to think for a minute outside the box, there's a good chance that not every tribe, tongue, and nation has had the gospel taken to them, right? There's probably some sort of Native American tribe that died and never had the gospel to it. There's probably some sort of indigenous people to remote parts of Africa that never had the gospel taken to it. And so one of the inferences that you could get from here is that how in the world are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people going to stand before the Lord worshiping if the gospel hasn't gone to all of those groups of people? Because there is absolutely no way, based on the gospel that I shared with you in the book of Romans, for someone to get to heaven except through Christ. And our belief, when you couple the, the book of Second Samuel with the book of Revelations, is that God has a special mercy towards children who have not reached an age where they can put their faith in Christ yet. And are you not thankful that we serve a God who has grace towards children? If you want an extended uh, treatment on this, a guy named John MacArthur, he's a famous pastor, uh, he wrote a book called Safe in the Arms of God. And if that is a topic that interests you at all, you should go read that book. It's a very small book. It's very thin, and it's only about that, uh, it's not this thick but it's about this big around. Uh, Excellent job. Very, very good job for anyone who has ever lost a child, for anyone who has had a miscarriage, anything like that. John MacArthur does a fantastic job. And some of these points that I made come from his book. And so are you not glad that we serve a God who sees fit to save us with his own son? And when our own sons and daughters are not old enough to make that decision for ourselves, he has a grace on them to take them to receive the same rewards we will. If you go over to... You stay in Revelation. I'm going to take you back there. But listen to one of the things that David says in Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 15. David says... 86, 15. He says, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Is that not the kind of God that you are thankful to serve? I tell you, all of these other nations that you see serving their, what they're calling gods, but you see serving these false gods, boy, all of their gods are all over the place. They never know what to expect from any of them, and they never know what's going to make any of them happy. But we serve a God full of kindness, long-suffering, grace, and mercy. And boy, I tell you, on Thanksgiving, I don't mean to get all sappy on you, but I am grateful that regardless of what happens to our children, God takes care of them. And so that's another thing to be thankful for. I had a conversation in the last week or two with somebody, and they said, tell me how to experience peace, the peace that you're talking about. And I said, well, given your situation, the peace that I'm telling you about is not based on God making you better. Okay? That the peace that God has to offer us isn't isn't that he's going to make our children better. That he's going to make all of our, our diseases and our ailments go away. That's not the peace of God that he has to offer. Now, sometimes he chooses to do that. And if you watch enough preachers on TV, you'll see, you'll think that he does that every time for people who trust him. But that is not true. The peace that God has to offer us is that if everything else fails us. If life absolutely falls apart, we serve a God who is going to take care of us on the other end of this life. And we serve a God that even though we walk through the river, even though the floodwaters rise, he doesn't get us out of it, but he is right there with us. And so that is something for you to be overwhelmingly thankful for, is that hopefully you've seen in our walk through the Old Testament that the promise after promise after promise To the people in the old covenant, is that their hope is that God says, I am with you. And right now, if you are in Christ, God is with you. And you can be encouraged and you can be thankful for all of those things. Well, that kind of transitions into the third thing to be thankful for. We've gone through a lot of condemnation in our walk through the Old Testament, bad thing after bad thing happening to God's people. But I am grateful that if you have put your hope in the gospel, and you are in Christ, that our reward is as great as it is. Go over to Revelation chapter 21. This is number three of things to be thankful for on the list. Revelation chapter 21. This is a chapter that never, ever, ever gets old. This is a a vision that... John has of the eternal state, the, Jeru- the new Jerusalem coming down. When we say heaven, there's a couple different things we mean by it. But ultimately, when we say heaven, we're talking about the new heaven and John sees it coming. And he says this in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. This is that new covenant language that we've been talking about. And so the the neat thing about heaven that God sees, or excuse me, that John sees, is that heaven is going to be a place where God physically dwells with his people. And listen to what's going to happen when he does. Verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And so if you have been in our church over the last month and a half, you have seen all sorts of heartbreak happen amongst our church and our church members. We've had a lot of sicknesses. We've had a lot of deaths. All sorts of things have been happening in this season. And you can be thankful that one day, when everything comes to a close, that God is going to dwell among us. And He is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there's not going to be any more death. And there's not going to be any more crying, mourning, or pain. Because all of that is going to pass away. And so as we go into this Christmas season and we have this this day where we're talking about things we're thankful for, are you not excited that one day this is the end that meets us all? That there's going to be an eternal state that's going to be absolutely nothing like this. It's going to be better. That all of the bad things about this life are going to pass away and you can be encouraged and you can have peace because no matter what you're going through, if you are in Christ... You can have peace because this end awaits you. And so anything bad that has happened to anyone who's in Christ stopped at the moment that they died. And it got nothing but better for them. And so while we mourn people, we have nothing but high hopes for the afterlife. Chapter 21, verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so I am thankful that we fight this fight and this battle against sin because we have this promise. If we overcome, God will be our God and we will be His son. Boy, there is no greater promise than you could ask for than to be chosen as a son of God. Who in here could fear death at all knowing that this awaits them? Listen, I have had a handful of funerals recently, and I've been in the scriptures, I've been in the gospel, and I'm just encouraged about all of the things that the people who die get to experience when they go into the afterlife. It's just been really exciting. And so I promise you, as a, as a man and as your pastor, I have zero fear of dying. No fear of going from this life to the next life. Actually, I look forward to it probably more than I actually should. So, that being said, when I'm putting up Christmas lights yesterday and I'm getting ready to walk up a steep part of my roof, when I slip, I'm not thinking about dying. There's zero fear of dying as a believer in Christ. The fear is being a quadriplegic and and not being able to do the things I enjoy doing. You see how that's different? That There's no fear of death. Sickness, any of that stuff comes within my family, within my friends. No fear of death my fear is is of is physical things coming about that would prevent me from dying when i feel like i should have died and so this is one of the ways that we as believers get that peace and it's all here in his word now so now that we've covered all of the things that we have the last thing i'm thankful for and this is not a cliche at all i'm truly thankful for all of you guys All of you guys. Some more than others, but all of you guys. And listen to this. I I wrote it down so that I would get it right. And this is what I'm thankful for specifically about you guys. Never lived in a small town before. So for the last year and a half, I've been in a very small town. Before living in this small town, I saw different people every day. This is the first time I've ever been somewhere where I see the same people every day. And news travels faster than it does on Twitter or email and all that other stuff. But listen to this. So I am thankful. That I've gotten to witness people in our church actively being the hands and feet of Christ. There are all sorts of bad things, bad news in town that travel like wildfire. But listen, when I go around town, people tell me, did you know that so-and-so did this? And it's a good thing, not a bad thing. And I get to see many of you doing things around town. I'm not spying on you. I'm not reading your mail. I'm not listening in on your phone calls. But I get to see you, and I get to hear about tons of you guys doing all sorts of good things around town. There are times in my life where I've thought, you know what? I'm not doing bad. I'm doing okay. I'm helping people out. I'm going about life trying to, to remain as, as sin-free as possible. My goodness. Most of you guys put me to shame with the amount of great things that you do for the people that you're surrounded by. And so, the, now I'm getting in, I'm getting out on a shaky branch here because I'm going to list some things that I've seen around town to encourage you, but you guys are such people That if I was ever to name your name, you would shoot me. So you would be more mad at me if I named your name for doing something good than if I called you out for doing something bad. That's a good quality, by the way. And so here's some of the things that I've seen specifically that we have done as a church. I have seen multiple of you guys giving money to homeless people. And many of you guys aren't just giving money to homeless people, but there are people that are homeless that probably shouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt And you, out of the goodness of your heart, you help them anyways, a lot of times knowing that they don't need help. And I think that is to be commended highly. Because like we've said before, we're not responsible for what other people do with what we give them. They're ultimately responsible for that. And so I have been thoroughly impressed. And your generosity towards people who are down and out has made me a more generous person. And I cannot thank you enough for that. I have seen some of you guys... Take in homeless people and give them somewhere to stay, and all of this is going on in our church. Uh, there have been times where I have heard about a particular situation, and then found out that it was one of our church members that was meeting the need in the community. That is an incredibly generous thing to do. It's one thing the scripture says to walk by someone who's cold and say, hmm, "Go on your well, go on your way and be warm." It's a whole nother thing. When you bring someone into your house or you have a house that you allow someone to go to so that they can go their way and be warm. And I'm incredibly grateful for you guys for that. I have seen you guys give tons of food to individuals who are in need. Not just through the local church, but I've seen people doing that on their own. I'm telling you, all sorts of people in town have benefited from you guys, and that is you being the hands and feet of Christ. Uh, I have seen, I have been places with some of you guys, and seeing you be generous in fundraisers that probably were a bit silly to you, but you took part anyways, and you were generous with the money that God gave you, supporting a cause of someone else's. Now, when you spend your money in a way that You probably wouldn't do anyways just so that you can be kind and generous that speaks incredibly highly of you i saw one of you put on the spot somebody said you need to buy one of those and you as a church member said i don't have to buy one because i already bought two and so i saw someone try to embarrass you for not being generous and then you were able to just out of the goodness of your heart say listen i already bought two and that person looked like an absolute fool and you looked incredibly generous as a follower of Christ. All sorts of neat things. I've seen you guys be generous with your time. You've been generous with your time towards me and helping me move and paint and all of these other things, but I've seen and heard you guys meeting needs in the community, which take time. Uh, there's a lot of people in our church who are in the Lions Club. The Lions Club is not affiliated with uh, any church that I know of, but it's a lot of men who go to different churches and they come together and the Lions Club meets needs of people who need glasses and i've heard stories from some of you raising money and giving glasses to kids who can't afford them and i've heard your stories of being able to purchase glasses for a kid who can't see and you put those glasses on him for the first time and the kid's face lights up cuz he's able to see and so there's a lot of you men who spend countless hours doing things for the Lions Club just so that Kids that are underprivileged can see. And all of this is being the hands and feet of Christ. There's all sorts of other things. And I want to read you one last scripture. This is in 2 Corinthians. And this is about Paul. And he's talking about uh, the apostles. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And this ties in well with being the hands and feet of Christ. Chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. So, Thanks be to God who always allows us to see victory and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So do you see what the scripture is saying? The scripture is saying that when you go about living victoriously in Christ and you go about spreading the knowledge of Christ and doing good things for Christ, the aroma of Christ is in that spot. And so you are taking Christ into all of those situations in which you are doing good things and showing yourself to be generous. And it says, I'm going to read it one more time. But thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Verse 15. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And so what this means is that the world is an absolutely smelly place. And when you go into the world doing the things that Christ would do, being the hands and feet of Christ, you are taking the aroma of Christ into that situation and you are making a bad situation better. And this is good for the people who are being saved and it's also good to those who are perishing. It means that they can look at you when you're doing all of these good things and they can see the hope That you have in Christ, which allows you when that hope and that love overflows out of you and you are doing good things for other people, that allows them to see the hope of Christ also. Incredible the way this thing works out. And so if I'm thankful for all of you guys, excuse me, if I'm thankful for all of you guys, you guys make up the church as a whole. And listen, as your pastor, I have never been more content and thankful for a group of people as you guys. Okay, You have no idea how much of a blessing you guys are. I missed a deacons meeting the other day, right? My son was in the hospital with appendicitis. After the deacons meeting, our chairman of the deacons calls me. He says, hey, we need to talk for a second. No problem, let's talk. Most of my friends and colleagues that are pastors would start packing their boxes right then. Listen to me. This is how things are in a lot of different places. Most of them would start packing because if they missed a deacons meeting, they would be out of a job. But our chairman of the deacons wanted to meet with me because our deacons decided for something good on my behalf and he wanted to let me know of it. And so you have no idea how much of a blessing the deacons that you choose are to me. I think we have a great working relationship and so I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for John and Betsy who aren't here right now. They do a great job with our children's ministries. They have a lot of their family that helps them also. They do a great job with our music. If you knew the churches out there where the music leader and the pianist and the preacher all hate each other, you would be amazed. And so I am grateful that even when Betsy texts me at 2 o'clock in the morning... She texted y'all last night too. Even when she does that, I have no hatred or animosity towards her, but I love her and John, even though we may go about doing things in a different manner. I still love both of them and am grateful for them. The Brotherhood, the WMU, all of those great things that uh, are happening in our church, and uh, last but not least, uh, our Sunday school teachers. Um, we have a lot of sunday school classes that have been absolutely growing lately And it's because of the hard work of the sunday school teachers that we have that y'all are putting into this And so I want to tell you sunday school teachers. Thank you Anybody who serves in any capacity in our church. Thank you. Also guys We have been through a rough time as a church But we have never as a church had a time where we could be thankful for any more things uh, things are going Uh, remarkable for a lot of us and I just think that we owe it to God to be incredibly thankful on this Sunday and so in saying that let's go to the Lord in prayer and as I go to the Lord in prayer if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ and you don't have a spirit of thankfulness inside of you if you don't understand the things that I've been talking about And maybe you don't understand how somebody could be so grateful to God for all of the good things he's given us. You come talk to me and I would love to point you to the Savior who that you could be thankful for also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you now and we are overwhelmingly thankful for all sorts of things in life. God, we are thankful first and foremost for your son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, dwelt among us, and then died for our sins and he died for our sins while we were against you, and so Father, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. and Father, we thank you for, we thank you for taking care of our children who leave this world. Father, when we can 't do anything else as mothers and fathers, we thank you that we have a God who is full of loving and kindness and mercy and takes care of our children when we take care of them for the last time. Father, we thank you for uh, the hope that awaits us on the other side of heaven. Father, some of us are closer to that hope than others, but Lord, we all look forward to the day where we can walk with you in paradise. Father, we look forward to you wiping away every tear, and we look forward to all things becoming new. No more sorrow, no more pain. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the people in our church that make this such a great place to be. Father, I thank you that it's a place where uh, the last few Sundays, people have wanted to come and be a part of the things that we're doing. And Father, we just come before you now in absolute awe of how great and how kind you are towards us, even in the midst of all of the turbulence going on with health. Father, we thank you again, and we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. If you would stand for hymn of invitation, number 376. If you guys will stay standing just for one minute, I want to remind you on your way out the door of a couple of things. Don't forget to sign up for breakfast if you're coming this week, or excuse me, next week. Uh, This coming Wednesday... We're going to have a brief meeting about the budget. We're going to vote on the budget next week. Uh, We want to uh, have a unanimous vote, and so come this Wednesday night. If you have any questions or concerns about the budget, and our deacons will be on hand. Uh, I'll be there. We can address any of the concerns you may have. Uh, Today at 4 p.m., I didn't tell you this earlier. Today at 4 p.m., the decorating committee is going to be decorating the whole church for Christmas. And so they need uh, more hands to help them. They also need some of those hands' husbands to come to lift things that may be heavy for some of our ladies. And so, listen, I hope you feel bad next week if you don't come and our ladies are in back braces. Okay? Okay? so you come and you help out the ladies and last but not least uh, last week we had uh, Frank and Pat Taylor join the church but I did not uh, go through the motion of allowing you to vote them into our fellowship uh, Lois reminded me Monday morning so uh, if you are in favor of having uh, Frank and Pat Taylor join our fellowship let it be known by saying aye, aye. happy Thanksgiving let's, uh, let's close in prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed Dr. Tarkington would you close us in prayer